Um, one of the most important things uh, when we consider the life here that we have at Welcome is honesty and integrity. Honesty and integrity. And that has to, that has to be modelled and exemplified from the leadership all the way through. This morning, I need to make an apology to you, the church, because of something that I said in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, which was incorrect. It was highlighted to me by uh, one of the other elders, and my, my initial reaction was, really? Did I say that? I don't remember saying that. Well, I did. When I went back and looked, I did say it. The sermon that we were, well, what we were looking at, the point I was making was referencing where we originated from as human beings, humanity. Obviously, as Christians, we believe that God orchestrated our being and who we are. In that moment, I made a comment uh, about uh, Darwinian evolution theory, which I called a lie. It's not a lie, because a theory cannot be a lie. Okay? There are, from time to time, there are moments where, particularly in that moment, I stepped away from what I had actually written on my notes, and, and just we say what was in our mouth. Lessons to be learned, and as Steve said to me uh, not that long ago, every day is a learning day, which I absolutely agree with. So I just want to make the record straight there. I don't believe Darwinian th uh, theory is a lie, because it can't be a lie purely by its definition. And that is totally unfair to Darwin himself, okay? But what I have done, it has spurred me, so please pray for me, I have bought both of his books, which I'm currently started reading, because it's very difficult for us to argue against something that we don't really understand, or we may have heard by hundreds of, or, or you know, tens of years of people telling us what they think Darwin said, or their interpretation of what he said. So, Integrity and honesty is incredibly important. So if I did offend anybody with that comment, that wasn't my intention, okay? And I apologise for that. But that does lead me on to something else that I'd like to say. And this is really more so for the church family, those who, who uh, consider welcome their home. Can I ask you, if any one of us up here ever says anything that you either disagree with, I mean, there are going to be things you're going to disagree with, okay? But if there is something we've said that's offended you or disagreed that you've disagreed with, come and talk to us. Just come and grab us after the service, whoever it is. Come and grab us, or if you can't grab us for whatever reason, Monday, Tuesday, ping us an email, give us a call. We would rather talk this stuff through, and if we have made a mistake, rectify it, then it linger on. Because when things linger, that's where conversations happen in dark corners. That's where seeds are sown, negative seeds. And that's something we just, we, it's not the culture that we are, we are trying to adopt here at Welcome. There, there are going to be times where you're going to feel that, and that's okay. But can we make a bit of a promise to each other? We get together, if, that's, if, if there is an issue, let's just go and rectify it. Let's talk to each other, let's pray with each other, and let's move on. Is that okay? Amen. Amen. Well, I really better be on it with my words today. <laughs> Lord, help me. So for those who were here last week, we began exploring the parable 
of the dishonest manager in Luke 16. Very, very quickly, manager was looking after someone's estate, but he was abusing the the owner's estate. He was abusing his possessions and money. And when he got found out, the owner sacked him. So instead of just walking around, uh, walking away saying, yeah, I've messed up, I'm gonna have to, you know, just live with those consequences, he didn't. (coughs) He shrewdly adapted and concocted a plan with the owner's debtors to be able to provide for himself a way to secure a future when he doesn't have an income. So that's just a very, very quick overview. We haven't got time to get into uh, all of that again today, but it is on uh, YouTube, so I encourage you to go back uh, last week uh, and, and, uh, and just watch that and listen to that. But if you remember, we began by unpacking the parable to help us understand its context. And uh, we can't, basically for the whole service in verse 8, the verse that not only provided us an overview of the parable, but also laid the foundation for which Jesus' lesson, which we're going to look at today, are birthed from, are built upon. And in essence, Jesus wants all his disciples, that's you and I, for those who believe in Jesus, all his disciples throughout time to be wary and careful not to obtain and use our wealth, i.e. money and possessions, in unrighteous ways, in ways that God wouldn't approve of like the world around us does. But instead, he wants us to adopt the shrewdness. If you remember last week, we looked at that word shrewdness, means cleverness, wisdom, sharp-wittedness. He wants us to adopt the shrewdness as the world, but in our righteous use of wealth not necessarily focusing on building a comfortable life for ourselves now, but preparing for our eternal future. And as I said, I encourage you to go back and have a look at that, uh, that first part last uh, on YouTube that we did last week. So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, Luke 16, we're going to start at verse 9, and today we're just going to look at verse 9 to 13. Jesus is speaking here and he says, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Heavenly Father, Lord, I make no lie that uh, this is not an easy passage, an easy word for us to understand. But Lord, you don't do anything without a purpose, and there is truth in these words. 
there is lessons for us to learn in these words. So Lord, we just humbly come before you this morning to ultimately ask for you to teach us all as we unpack this. Lord, use me as your servant, as your mouthpiece this morning. Lord, may your church only ever see and hear you, not me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When you explore the subjects that uh, Jesus spends most of his time on, preaching or teaching throughout his ministry on earth, you will find, if you did a, uh, if you explored it, that the fourth biggest subject that Jesus ever spoke on was money. Money. That's behind God the Father, Kingdom of God, faith, then money. And then after that was Satan, believe it or not. But I think those two are sometimes intrinsically connected. So it's money. Now there's a reason why Jesus spent <coughs> excuse me, so much time speaking on and dealing with the subject of money. And that is because of the danger that money, possessions, wealth, poses to all people, believers included. Money at its core is just paper. It's just paper and metal. That's all it is. It has no intrinsic value apart from the value that humans have placed on it over centuries. We place this value on these bits of paper and metal because it is our means of securing the things in this world that we need and want. But when you then marry this concept with the inherently sinful nature of humanity, our pursuit of trying to obtain money, to obtain wealth, and our use of these things can very easily become unrighteous, can very easily become selfish, very easily become greedy. <clears throat> it wasn't that long ago that I watched a, a documentary on, on Netflix about, in, back in the 1970s, how the New York detectives brought down the three biggest mafia bosses in the city. And part of the reason they managed to find them and get to them, because they'd never been able to do it, was because of something to do, I can't remember the exact details, but basically the mafia was fundamental in building most of, or not most of, but some of <coughs> the high-rise buildings that popped up in New York in that time. Because they were, they were, they were in corrupt dealing, dealings with the uh, construction companies in the city. And it was that was how they, the police managed to find and get to them. And there was some law, some, some thing in the law that managed, uh, meant that they were able to arrest them and, and, and send them down for it. Is that not similar to what the dishonest manager <coughs> was up to? Exploiting the owner's business for his own gain. Exploiting the owner's business for his own gain. The reality is that there are dishonest managers all around us, all the time. Some of us in this room may well have been a dishonest manager in our time. Some of us may still be. May still be. 
But by using this parable that Jesus spoke of as an anchor point, Jesus lays out the blueprint for how he expects his disciples to approach and to use any wealth that they have in the right way. And the first lesson that he teaches us here is be generous with wealth. Be generous with wealth. Jesus says in verse 9, And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. The first thing to note here is when Jesus makes comments like, And I tell you, we would do well to sit up and pay attention. Right? But what is he saying? When Jesus refers to unrighteousness, this, this word adikai, it refers to not righteous. Right? It's the opposite, not righteous, evil. It refers to being wicked, being sinful, contrary to the law, and that which is right by whose standards? God's standards. He's the only one that can define what is right and what is wrong on this planet. Okay? In other words, it refers to our attitude, our activities, and our pursuits that are at odds with or counter to God's righteous design for the world, which God doesn't look favourably upon. Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? We don't have time to unpack that today, but there's a lot in there. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So then we have this word wealth, this uh, mammonus. Often we just refer to it as, as mammon, but it refers to money, it refers to riches, it refers to material possessions, which in the scriptures, these are often associated in a negative light. The One of the pastors over at Got Questions comments on it this way, he says, in biblical culture, the word mammon often carried a negative connotation. It was sometimes used to describe all lusts and excesses, i.e. gluttony, greed, dishonest worldly gain. Ultimately, mammon described an idol, an idol of materialism, which many trusted as the foundation for their world and their philosophy. I think we can all agree with that. Do we not see that in the world around us? King Solomon writes of the futility of chasing after mammon. He says, and again, we will recognise this, even though he wrote it thousands of years ago, whoever loves money never has enough. But he goes on and says, whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied, satisfied with their income. If I was going to suggest a summary explanation for unrighteous wealth, I would say something along these lines. Unrighteous wealth is referring to the unrighteous ways in which those in the world gain wealth or use their wealth 
to better themselves in this life, using their wealth for personal gratification and self-purposes. Now, just to put a bit of a disclaimer in here, money, possessions, wealth, all of these things aren't inherently evil. Okay? They're not inherently evil because everything in the world is God-created. All right? But when placed in the hands of the sons and daughters of this world, remember we looked at that last week, the sons and daughters of this world are those who do not walk with Christ those who are focused on themselves and building wealth in this life and couldn't give two hoots about God or this thing called God to them. But when placed in their hands, it is more often than not used and abused for selfish gains. Selfish gains, which we all have been or are still partakers in. We've all fallen foul of this. We are all partakers of worldly, unrighteous wealth. Whether directly, throughout our own schemes, I hope not, but maybe, maybe. Either through our own schemes, directly, or indirectly via corrupt bosses, companies, you name it, for who pays our, uh, our wages. Just think back to what I said about the, uh, that documentary I read. Think about the bricklayer. He was just trying to do an honest day's work. Think about the guy mucking up the, the cement. Just trying to do an honest day's work. You probably find there were Christians there just trying to do an honest day's work. But indirectly, where were their wages being filtered through? Corruption. Yeah? So indirectly, we can still be partakers of unrighteous wealth. But irrespective of how we came about our worldly wealth, it is how we use it now that matters. Okay? It is how we use it now that God is watching. Simply put, just like the dishonest manager in the parable used the owner's wealth unrighteously to build a future for himself in the immediate future, okay? So too are Jesus' disciples, which we are included, to use our wealth righteously, which will not only benefit people in this life, but it will also benefit us in the eternal life. See the difference? And how do we do that, you may ask? By using our God-given wealth selflessly rather than selfishly. Using our God-given wealth, our money, our possessions, everything we have, selflessly rather than selfishly. Selflessly is thinking about others rather than ourselves. Selfishly is not necessarily always thinking about others but wanting to build ourselves up. How do we do that? Well, we use it to help the poor. We use it to support the lost around us, to care for those the world has rejected around us. We use wealth 
our wealth as a tool to show the goodness of God to a sceptical world, using it to show the world that our dependency is on Christ, not on materialistic objects, using it to build and take care of his church and to support the advancement of Christ's gospel in the world. So can we say then that, looking back at the passage, that the friends who will welcome us into eternal dwellings, in verse 9, refer to those who we may help in this life? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, Jesus isn't exactly clear on this, but the best understanding based on the verse is that when we use our worldly wealth to help others and be witnesses to Jesus in doing so, not only could they then help us when our wealth fails, i.e. when we fall on hard times. How many of you have had those situations where you've helped others in the past, when they've been in a tough, sticky situation, but then you find yourself in it and instantly you've got people coming to help you? I know we have. But more importantly, some of those who we help may well come to Christ. That's our prayer, isn't it? They may well come to Christ. They may well die and go to heaven before us. And on that day, when our wealth finally finishes, that day when we die, those who we have helped will welcome us into our eternal home, our eternal dwellings, with God as friends in Christ. I mean, there are so many passages we could go into to expand upon that. We haven't got time today. Remember what Jesus says in Luke 12, 33. He says, sell your possessions. Now, he's not saying you've got to live in a tent for the rest of your life. Okay, it's a principle he's trying to make. Sell your possessions. Don't think about you. Think about what you, how you can help someone. If that means you've got to sell something, then go and sell it. Sell your possessions and give to the needy, he says. Provide for yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail. What did he say in verse 9? Uh, and I tell you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous wealth. So when it fails, it will fail in this life. It will fail. Everything will fail at some point when Christ returns. When the new heavens and the new earth are established, everything that we've known in this life will come to an end. But Jesus is saying, it's what you do on this world, in this life. It's in this life. If you do things righteously, righteously, you will be treasure in heaven that will never fail because the future heaven is eternal. The future kingdom is eternal. But if you only focus on what is in this life, it will fail. It will fail. Lesson two. Be faithful stewards of wealth. Be faithful stewards 
of wealth. Jesus says in verse 10, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Now we don't need to labour this point too much because I think it's quite, a, it's quite self-explanatory what Jesus is trying to say in this verse. But the truth is that character is character. Whether you are dealing with something small, whether you are dealing with something big. Okay, let me just expand upon that a little bit more. Self, uh, selfishness in something small reveals what is likely to be the case when that person is dealing with something big. And oppositely, if someone is selfless in something small, then that is likely also to be the case when they're dealing with something larger. So let's look at an example of this. If I said, uh, Ron, I'm going to pick on Ron today. If I said, right, Ron, Ron, Ron. <laughs> I love you, Ron. If Ron is responsible for the Quiche Appreciation Society at Welcome, there you laugh. <laughs> so if Ron is responsible for the for the Quiche Appreciation Society budget at Welcome, okay, which is a small budget, <laughs> but Ron takes his responsibility. Oh, incredibly seriously. Counting every every penny, making sure everything's accounted for. Okay? When, or should I say, do you think that Ron will remain faithful in his dealing with the budget of that ministry when the whole church gets involved in that ministry? Right? Because we're church people, we love quiche. Yeah. <laughs> Some do. But his budget increases tenfold. Do we think he's still going to be as faithful as he was and it's a small budget? Absolutely. Yeah, because character, character is character. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with something small or big. You will remain with the same character. If someone is selfish, if someone didn't, did two hoots about looking after that budget when it was small and they couldn't make ends meet on the budget sheet, what's the chances what's going to happen when they, they give them more? It's going to be a mess. But then Jesus goes on to expand on this and he says in verse 11, If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, i.e. wealth obtained in this fallen world, whether directly or indirectly, who will, who will entrust to you the true riches? Now, the true riches of which Jesus speaks of in this verse refers to the spiritual blessings of our service to God in the future kingdom. Spiritual blessings of our future service to God in the eternal kingdom. Let me ask a question. Who's looking forward to heaven where we don't have to do any more work and we can float around on fucking clouds all day? <laughs> Who's looking forward to that? Oh, I'm, I'd look forward to that if that was true. Right? But I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That is not what heaven is going to be like. We won't be floating around on fluffy clouds as the world likes to depict. Because there will be work to do in heaven. Everyone sinks in their seats. Really? <laughs> really? There will be work to do in heaven. But it won't be the same work as what we have to strive through in this world. Alright? 
A work that is hard. Work that is boring. Work that is a chore. And then whatever else you, you guys struggle with as well. Uh, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I love, I love, I love my role. Don't worry. God, that's going to get me in trouble. But all the work that we go through in this life, it's, it's, it's labour that's, that's tainted by the fall. We shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be shocked that it's tough. But the work in heaven is going to be restful work. It's going to be joyful work, which will all be explicitly dedicated for the glory of God. I like the sound of that, that type of work. I mean, the reality is, Tony is not here today, but he's the only one that's going to probably be doing the same thing in heaven as he does on earth. You know, gardening. Um, you know, and if we, if we look at, if we look at, uh, uh, so Revelation, Revelation, at the very end of Revelation, uh, uh, Revelation 22, after we, we, we've read about the coming of, you know, the new, new heavens and the new earth has been established and it's all sounding awesome. And in 22.3 it says, no longer will there be any accursed. The curse will not exist. It will be gone. It will be eradicated. No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the new heavens and the new earth, and his servants will worship him. That word worship can also be rendered serve. We will be serving God in heaven. I'm sorry to say for those who expected it, there will be no unemployment in heaven. Okay, neither for the angels nor for the saints. But we will enjoy every moment of it. So in essence, Jesus is saying, if you have not been faithful with your wealth in this present evil age, as per God's instruction on how we should righteously use our wealth, you won't be blessed with responsibility in the eternal kingdom to come. Now we're not talking about salvation here. I really want to put this disclaimer in. We are not talking about salvation. That is absolute through faith in Jesus. We are talking about our service and also our rewards. We sung about it today. Crowns in heaven. Our service and rewards in the future kingdom based on our faithfulness in this life, our faithfulness to Christ as he calls us to live and walk, but particularly in this moment with our wealth because that's what we're looking at today. But he then expands on again by saying in verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? <coughs> Jesus has hit on a truth that is often ignored in the world and often forgotten in the church. There is nothing that we have that is ours. Nothing that we, that, that we truly own, jobs, money, possession, whatever it may be, they're all from God and by his grace. Given to us to steward, to look after, to use wisely. Ultimately, we are caretakers, not owners. And I, I, I've often wondered if we can get our head around that, that actually would make our life a lot easier. Right? So in essence, if we can't look after that which is God's, as he requires us to do now in this life, why should we be trusted with responsibility in the future kingdom? 
And it's here where we come full circle back to the parable of the dishonest manager. You see, he was not faithful in that which did not belong to him. And he chose to use the owner's resources dishonestly. And, and what was the result of that? He was stripped from his responsibility. His responsibility was taken away from him. So it is with disciples, Jesus' disciples. If we use God's resources of which we have been given responsibility to manage in selfish ways, ways that only look after ourselves, and we can, couldn't give two hoots about other people, we will not be granted that extra responsibility in the future kingdom, and it could also hinder any rewards that Scripture talks about that we might receive for our faithfulness in Christ in this life. But if we are faithful managers of that which is God's in this life, then we will be granted responsibility and rewards in the future kingdom. There's been, all the way through these last few verses, there's been this, you do this and that. This, this duality happening. Consequences happening throughout. Last lesson, lesson three. Put wealth in its right place. Put wealth in its right place. Jesus culminates his teaching into a startling statement which leaves his disciples under no illusion of the expectation that Jesus expects of them. Simply put, in this context that we're looking at today, one of two things will become Lord and Master of your life, of my life. God or wealth. God or wealth. In verse 13 he says, No servant can serve two masters, for either they will hate the one and love the other, or they will be devoted to one and they will despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You cannot serve God and money. Notice Jesus did not say you should not serve. He said you cannot. It's an absolute. This word serve that we, we refer to in this passage is reference to the work of a slave, not an employee back in Jesus' day. A slave was the property of one master and must give the master exclusive service. So it is with the disciple of Jesus. So it is with us. We cannot be divided. We are either a slave to money and wealth or we are a servant to God. Which is it going to be? Which is it going to be? Too often in this world we try to live with our feet in both camps. But we can't do it. We could. Many people do. But Jesus says you cannot. You will not. It's your choice. We are called to focus our all on Christ. Focus on his will throughout our life and his ways which includes holding our money and possessions loosely. Loosely. Using them wisely and being ready to give it all up or give it all away if Jesus asks us to. We looked at this a few weeks, well, a month or two back. We did a whole message on that. 
We have to hold everything we have loosely. When we come to that realisation that everything we have is God's, ourselves, we ourselves are God's possession. We hold it all loosely and we live this life being ready to give it away or to give it up. There's a, there's a freedom in that. There's a liberation in that. But why, you might ask, why is Jesus so focused on teaching us, his disciples, about money and possessions and the correct use and attitude of it? Well, this comes right back to what I said at the beginning, which was our improper use of money and possessions and wealth will not only lead us into selfish, greedy ways, but it will, it will become a false god in our heart, a god which we will obey. We know that Jesus' early disciples understood the importance of this message because they carried on teaching the same message. So we know they got it. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.10. He says, for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. I want you to notice an important point. He doesn't say having money and possessions. He doesn't say having it. He says the love of it. Another disclaimer. There is nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong with having a good job, a nice house. There's nothing wrong with having possession. It is blessings from God, but it is the love of money. It's that deep want to have more at any cost that is the danger it is the desire for wealth that is the trap the snare which will push God out of your heart and place wealth uh, wealth is the idol of your life Jesus says do not let it put wealth in its right place and fill your heart with the only thing that can bring fulfilment, true fulfilment in your life. Any ideas what that might be? Jesus, Christ, the only person that can bring true fulfilment in your life. Friends, Jesus didn't die on our, on our behalf on that cross, paying that ransom that you and I owed God the Father for our rebellious life, for us to replace him in our heart with the desire for wealth. He didn't die on a Roman cross to provide freedom, restoration and reconciliation with the Father for all who place their faith in Jesus, for us to get snared back into the love of money, the love of wealth. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. But I also know that the desire for wealth is tough. It's a tough battle. And it is a battle that some in this room are facing. Don't let it. Don't let. Don't go on that battle alone because you will fail. The, 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 the love of money is too strong. Reach out to God. Lift it to prayer to God. Not just once, daily. Five times a day if you have to. Every time you're tempted, lift it to God. Come and speak to us. 
Let us help you on that journey. Let us pray with you. Come to the prayer area after the service, which is open for anybody if you wish to have prayer, but particularly also in this, this context today. Friends, if you haven't given your life to Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour today, can I encourage you to do so without delay? Count the cost, but don't delay. Invite him into your heart. Not only will you receive newness of life and hope in your heart today, but you will also receive this incredible gift we call the Holy Spirit, who is alive in us, and who is the greatest weapon we have to battle the love of wealth in our life. Can I invite the band up, please? Well, we've come to the end of our second week, looking at Jesus' lessons revolving around the dishonest manager. In two weeks' time, so Jeremy's preaching next week, which will be a blessing to us all. In two weeks' time, we'll bring this into landing, this particular area of teaching into landing, by looking at the Pharisees' response to Jesus. Because remember, they were listening. They were listening in. So we'll look at the, the, the Pharisees' response and Jesus' reply. But for today, let us take the three lessons that we have, we have explored away with us and let us contemplate them, consider them prayerfully within our own life. Be generous with your wealth. Be selfless, not selfish. Always be prayerfully considering, Lord, how can I help? Who, may, who can I serve today? This is all yours anyway. <coughs> Always be ready with an eye open. And two, be faithful stewards of your wealth. Remember it's God's. We are everything we have and all the opportunities God provides for us, we are stewards of. Doesn't that in itself is wonderful because it takes a lot of burden off us. We're just going to be faithful to what God says and use what we have as the way God calls us to use it. Right? If we don't, we may grow rich in this life, but it will affect our future life in the eternal kingdom. Right? So two, be faithful stewards of your wealth. Three, put wealth in its right place. No thing and no one should replace a Christian's heart. <coughs> or should I say, God should always be the number one in a Christian's heart. Nothing should replace that. So if you are replacing God with something else, don't walk the journey alone. Come and talk to us. Pray it up to the Lord. Okay? See, if you do, we... You will not only help people in this life who are in need, which is itself is a blessing, and to help advance the gospel in this life, you will and I will, by doing these things also build treasures up for ourselves in heaven. Opening the door for greater responsibility in the future kingdom to come, which I'm very looking forward to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.